Chapter 16 of Pushing to the Front by Horizon Sweat Marden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 16 Personality as a Success Asset. There is something about one's personality which eludes the photographer, which the painter cannot reproduce, which the sculptor cannot chisel. This subtle something which everyone feels, but which no one can describe, which no biographer ever put down in a book, has a great deal to do with one's success in life. It is this indescribable quality, which some persons have in a remarkable degree, which sets an audience wild at the mention of the name of a Blaine or a Lincoln, which makes people applaud beyond the bounds of enthusiasm. It was this peculiar atmosphere which made Clay the idol of his constituents. Although perhaps Calhoun was a greater man, he never aroused any such enthusiasm as the mill boy of the slashes. Webster and Sumner were great men, but they did not arouse a tithe of the spontaneous enthusiasm evoked by men like Blaine and Clay. A historian says that, in measuring Kosuth's influence over the masses, we must first reckon with the orator's physical bulk, and then carry the measuring line above his atmosphere. If we had discernment fine enough and tests delicate enough, we could not only measure the personal atmosphere of individuals, but could also make more accurate estimates concerning the future possibilities of schoolmates and young friends. We are often misled as to the position they are going to occupy, from the fact that we are apt to take account merely of their ability, and do not reckon this personal atmosphere or magnetic power as a part of their success capital. Yet this individual atmosphere has quite as much to do with one's advancement as brain power or education. Indeed, we constantly see men of mediocre ability, but with fine personal presence, superb manner, and magnetic qualities, being rapidly advanced over the heads of those who are infinitely their superiors in mental endowments. A good illustration of the influence of personal atmosphere is found in the orator who carries his audience with him like a whirlwind while he is delivering his speech, and yet so little of this personal element adheres to his cold words in print that those who read them are scarcely moved at all. The influence of such speakers depends almost wholly upon their presence, the atmosphere that emanates from them. They are much larger than anything they say or do. Certain personalities are greater than mere physical beauty and more powerful than learning. Charm of personality is a divine gift that sways the strongest characters and sometimes even controls the destinies of nations. We are unconsciously influenced by people who possess this magnetic power. The moment we come into their presence, we have a sense of enlargement. They unlock within us possibilities of which we previously had no conception. Our horizon broadens 
we feel a new power stirring through all our being. We experience a sense of relief, as if a great weight which long had pressed upon us had been removed. We can converse with such people in a way that astonishes us, although meeting them perhaps for the first time. We express ourselves more clearly and eloquently than we believed we could. They draw out the best that is in us. They introduce us, as it were, to our larger, better selves. With their presence, impulses and longings come thronging to our minds which never stirred us before. All at once life takes on a higher and nobler meaning, and we are fired with the desire to do more than we have ever done before, and to be more than we have been in the past. A few minutes before, perhaps, we were sad and discouraged, when, suddenly, the flashlight of a potent personality of this kind has opened a rift in our lives and revealed to us hidden capabilities. Sadness gives place to joy, despair to hope, and disheartenment to encouragement. We have been touched to finer issues. We have caught a glimpse of higher ideals, and, for the first moment at least, have been transformed. The old commonplace life, with its absence of purpose and endeavor, has dropped out of sight, and we resolve with better heart and newer hope to struggle to make permanently ours the forces and potentialities that have been revealed to us. Even a momentary contact with a character of this kind seems to double our mental and soul powers, as two great dynamos double the current which passes over the wire, and we are loath to leave the magical presence, lest we lose our newborn power. On the other hand, we frequently meet people who make us shrivel and shrink into ourselves. The moment they come near us, we experience a cold chill, as if a blast of winter had struck us in midsummer, a blighting, narrowing sensation, which seems to make us suddenly smaller, passes over us. We feel a decided loss of power, of possibility. We could no more smile in their presence than we could laugh while at a funeral. Their gloomy, miasmatic atmosphere chills all our natural impulses. In their presence, there is no possibility of expansion for us, as a dark cloud suddenly obscures the brightness of a smiling summer sky. Their shadows are cast upon us and fill us with vague, undefinable uneasiness. We instinctively feel that such people have no sympathy with our aspirations, and our natural prompting is to guard closely any expression of our hopes and ambitions. When they are near us, our laudable purposes and desires shrink into insignificance and mere foolishness. The charm of sentiment vanishes, and life seems to lose color and zest. The effect of their presence is paralyzing, and we hasten from it as soon as possible. If we study these two types of personality, we shall find that the chief difference between them is that the first loves his kind and the latter does not. Of course, that rare charm of manner 
which captivates all those who come within the sphere of its influence, and that strong personal magnetism which inclines all hearts toward its fortunate possessor, are largely natural gifts. But we shall find that the man who practices unselfishness, who is genuinely interested in the welfare of others, who feels it a privilege to have the power to do a fellow creature a kindness, even though polished manners and a gracious presence may be conspicuous by their absence, will be an elevating influence wherever he goes. He will bring encouragement to and uplift every life that touches his. He will be trusted and loved by all who come in contact with him. This type of personality we may all cultivate if we will. Magnetic personality is intangible. This mysterious something, which we sometimes call individuality, is often more powerful than the ability which can be measured or the qualities that can be rated. Many women are endowed with this magnetic quality, which is entirely independent of personal beauty. It is often possessed in a high degree by very plain women. This was notably the case with some of the women who ruled in the French salons more absolutely than the king on his throne. At a social gathering, when conversation drags and interest is at a low ebb, the entrance of some bright woman with a magnetic personality instantly changes the whole situation. She may not be handsome, but everybody is attracted. It is a privilege to speak to her. People who possess this rare quality are frequently ignorant of the source of their power. They simply know they have it, but cannot locate or describe it. While it is, like poetry, music, or art, a gift of nature, born in one, it can be cultivated to a certain extent. Much of the charm of a magnetic personality comes from a fine, cultivated manner. Tact, also, is a very important element, next to a fine manner, perhaps the most important. One must know exactly what to do, and be able to do just the right thing at the proper time. Good judgment and common sense are indispensable to those who are trying to acquire this magic power. Good taste is also one of the elements of personal charm. You cannot offend the tastes of others without hurting their sensibilities. One of the greatest investments one can make is that of attaining a gracious manner, cordiality of bearing, generosity of feeling, the delightful art of pleasing. It is infinitely better than money capital, for all doors fly open to sunny, pleasing personalities. They are more than welcome. They are sought for everywhere. Many a youth owes his promotion or his first start in life to the disposition to be accommodating, to help along wherever he could. This was one of Lincoln's chief characteristics. He had a passion for helping people, for making himself agreeable under all circumstances. Mr. Herndon, his law partner, says, When the root ledge tavern where Lincoln boarded was crowded, he would often give up his bed and sleep on the counter in his store with a roll of calico for his pillow. Somehow, Everybody in trouble 
turned to him for help. This generous desire to assist others and to return kindnesses especially endeared Lincoln to the people. The power to please is a tremendous asset. What can be more valuable than a personality which always attracts, never repels? It is not only valuable in business, but also in every field of life. It makes statesmen and politicians. It brings clients to the lawyer and patients to the physician. It is worth everything to the clergyman. No matter what career you enter, you cannot overestimate the importance of cultivating that charm of manner, those personal qualities which attract people to you. They will take the place of capital or influence. They are often a substitute for a large amount of hard work. Some men attract business, customers, clients, patients, as naturally as magnets attract particles of steel. Everything seems to point their way, for the same reason that the steel particles point toward the magnet, because they are attracted. Such men are business magnets. Business moves toward them, even when they do not apparently make half so much effort to get it as the less successful. Their friends call them lucky dogs, but if we analyze these men closely, we find that they have attractive qualities. There is usually some charm of personality about them that wins all hearts. Many successful business and professional men would be surprised if they should analyze their success to find what a large percentage of it is due to their habitual courtesy and other popular qualities. Had it not been for these, their sagacity, long-headedness, and business training would not perhaps have amounted to half so much. For, no matter how able a man may be, if his coarse, rude manners drive away clients, patients, or customers, if his personality repels, he will always be placed at a disadvantage. It pays to cultivate popularity. It doubles success possibilities, develops manhood, and builds up character. To be popular, one must strangle selfishness. He must keep back his bad tendencies. He must be polite, gentlemanly, agreeable, and companionable. In trying to be popular, he is on the road to success and happiness as well. The ability to cultivate friends is a powerful aid to success. It is capital which will stand by one when panics come, when banks fail, when business concerns go to the wall. How many men have been able to start again after having everything swept away by fire or flood or some other disaster, just because they had cultivated popular qualities, because they had learned the art of being agreeable, of making friends, and holding them with hooks of steel. People are influenced powerfully by their friendships, by their likes and dislikes, and a popular business or professional man has every advantage in the world over a cold, indifferent man for customers, clients, or patients will flock to him. Cultivate the art of being agreeable. It will help you to self-expression as nothing else will. It will call out your success qualities. It will broaden your sympathies. 
it is difficult to conceive of any more delightful birthright than to be born with this personal charm. And yet it is comparatively easy to cultivate, because it is made up of so many other qualities, all of which are cultivatable. I never knew a thoroughly unselfish person who was not an attractive person. No person who is always thinking of himself and trying to figure out how he can get some advantage from everybody else will ever be attractive. We are naturally disgusted with people who are trying to get everything for themselves and never think of anybody else. The secret of pleasing is in being pleasant yourself, in being interesting. If you would be agreeable, you must be magnanimous. The narrow, stingy soul is not lovable. People shrink from such a character. There must be heartiness in the expression, in the smile, in the handshake, in the cordiality, which is unmistakable. The hardest natures cannot resist these qualities any more than the eyes can resist the sun. If you radiate sweetness and light, people will love to get near you, for we are all looking for the sunlight, trying to get away from the shadows. It is unfortunate that these things are not taught more in the home and in the school, for our success and happiness depend largely upon them. Many of us are no better than uneducated heathens. We may know enough, but we give ourselves out stingily, and we live narrow and reserved lives, when we should be broad, generous, sympathetic, and magnanimous. Popular people, those with great personal charm, take infinite pains to cultivate all the little graces and qualities which go to make up popularity. If people who are naturally unsocial would only spend as much time and take as much pains as people who are social favorites in making themselves popular, they would accomplish wonders. Everybody is attracted by lovable qualities and is repelled by the unlovely wherever found. The whole principle of an attractive personality lives in this sentence. A fine manner pleases. A coarse, brutal manner repels. We cannot help being attracted to one who is always trying to help us, who gives us his sympathy, who is always trying to make us comfortable and to give us every advantage he can. On the other hand, we are repelled by people who are always trying to get something out of us who elbow their way in front of us, to get the best seat in a car or a hall, who are always looking for the easiest chair, or for the choicest bits at the table, who are always wanting to be waited on first at the restaurant or hotel, regardless of others. The ability to bring the best that is in you to the man you are trying to reach, to make a good impression at the very first meeting, to approach a prospective customer as though you had known him for years without offending his taste, without raising the least prejudice, but getting his sympathy and goodwill is a great accomplishment, and this is what commands a great salary. There is a charm in a gracious personality from which it is very hard to get away. It is difficult to snub the man who possesses it, 
there is something about him which arrests your prejudice, and no matter how busy or how worried you may be, or how much you may dislike to be interrupted, somehow you haven't the heart to turn away the man with a pleasing personality. Who has not felt his power multiplied many times, his intellect sharpened, and a keener edge put on all of his faculties, when coming into contact with a strong personality which has called forth hidden powers which he never before dreamed he possessed, so that he could say things and do things impossible to him when alone. The power of the orator, which he flings back to his listeners, he first draws from his audience, but he could never get it from the separate individuals any more than the chemist could get the full power from chemicals standing in separate bottles in his laboratory. It is in contact and combination only that new creations, new forces are developed. We little realize what a large part of our achievement is due to others working through us, to their sharpening our faculties, radiating hope, encouragement, and helpfulness into our lives and sustaining and inspiring us mentally. We are apt to overestimate the value of an education from books alone. A large part of the value of a college education comes from the social intercourse of the students, the reinforcement, the buttressing of character by association. Their faculties are sharpened and polished by the attrition of mind with mind and the pitting of brain against brain, which stimulate ambition, brighten the ideals, and open up new hopes and possibilities. Book knowledge is valuable, but the knowledge which comes from mind intercourse is invaluable. Two substances totally unlike, but having a chemical affinity for each other, may produce a third infinitely stronger than either, or even both of those which unite. Two people with a strong affinity often call into activity in each other a power which neither dreamed he possessed before. Many an author owes his greatest book, his cleverest saying, to a friend who has aroused in him latent powers which otherwise might have remained dormant. Artists have been touched by the power of inspiration through a masterpiece, or by someone they happened to meet who saw in them what no one else had ever seen, the power to do an immortal thing. The man who mixes with his fellows is ever on a voyage of discovery, finding new islands of power in himself, which would have remained forever hidden but for association with others. Everybody he meets has some secret for him, if he can only extract it, something which he never knew before, something which will help him on his way, something which will enrich his life. No man finds himself alone. Others are his discoverers. It is astonishing how much you can learn from people in social intercourse when you know how to look at them rightly. But it is a fact that you can only get a great deal out of them by giving them a great deal of yourself. The more you radiate yourself, the more magnanimous you are, the more generous of yourself, the more you fling yourself out to them without reserve, the more you will get back. You must give much in order to get much.
the current will not set toward you until it goes out from you. About all you can get from others is a reflex of the currents from yourself. The more generously you give, the more you get in return. You will not receive if you give out stingily, narrowly, meanly. You must give of yourself in a wholehearted, generous way, or you will receive only stingy rivulets, when you might have had great rivers and torrents of blessings. A man who might have been symmetrical, well-rounded, had he availed himself of every opportunity of touching life along all sides, remains a pygmy in everything except his own little specialty, because he did not cultivate his social side. It is always a mistake to miss an opportunity of meeting with our kind, and especially of mixing with those above us, because we can always carry away something of value. It is through social intercourse that our rough corners are rubbed off, that we become polished and attractive. If you go into social life with a determination to give it something, to make it a school for your self-improvement, for calling out your best social qualities, for developing the latent brain cells which have remained dormant for the lack of exercise, you will not find society either a bore or unprofitable. You must give it something, or you will not get anything. When you learn to look upon every one you meet as holding a treasure, something which will enrich your life, which will enlarge and broaden your experience, and make you more of a man, you will not think the time in the drawing-room wasted. The man who is determined to get on will look upon every experience as an educator, as a culture chisel, which will make his life a little more shapely and attractive. Frankness of manner is one of the most delightful of traits in young or old. Everybody admires the open-hearted, the people who have nothing to conceal, and who do not try to cover up their faults and weaknesses. They are, as a rule, large-hearted and magnanimous. They inspire love and confidence, and, by their very frankness and simplicity, invite the same qualities in others. Secretiveness repels as much as frankness attracts. There is something about the very inclination to conceal or cover up which arouses suspicion and distrust. We cannot have the same confidence in people who possess this trait, no matter how good they may seem to be, as in frank, sunny natures. Dealing with these secretive people is like travelling on a stagecoach on a dark night. There is always a feeling of uncertainty. We may come out all right, but there is a lurking fear of some pitfall or unknown danger ahead of us. We are uncomfortable because of the uncertainties. They may be all right and may deal squarely with us, but we are not sure and cannot trust them. No matter how polite or gracious a secretive person may be, we can never rid ourselves of the feeling that there is a motive behind his graciousness and that he has an ulterior purpose in view. He is always more or less of an enigma because he goes through life wearing a mask. He endeavours to hide every trait that is not favourable to himself. Never, if he can help it, 
do we get a glimpse of the real man. How different the man who comes out in the open, who has no regrets, who reveals his heart to us, and who is frank, broad, and liberal. How quickly he wins our confidence, how we all like and trust him. We forgive him for many a slip or weakness, because he is always ready to confess his faults and to make amends for them. If he has bad qualities, they are always in sight, and we are ready to make allowances for them. His heart is sound and true, his sympathies are broad and active, the very qualities he possesses, frankness and simplicity, are conducive to the growth of the highest manhood and womanhood. In the Black Hills of South Dakota, there lived a humble, ignorant miner, who won the love and goodwill of everyone. "'You can't help liking him,' said an English miner, and when asked why the miners and the people in the town couldn't help liking him, he answered, "'Because he has heart in him. He's a man. He always helps the boys when in trouble. You never go to him for nothing.' Bright, handsome young men, graduates of Eastern colleges, were there seeking their fortune. A great many able, strong men drawn there from different parts of the country by the gold fever. But none of them held the public confidence like this poor man. He could scarcely write his name and knew nothing of the usages of polite society. Yet he so entrenched himself in the hearts of his community that no other man, however educated or cultured, had the slightest chance of being elected to any office of preeminence, while Ike was around. He was elected mayor of his town and sent to the legislature, although he could not speak a grammatical sentence. It was all because he had a heart in him. He was a man. End of chapter 16 Personality as a Success Asset Recording by Luke Sartor, Brisbane, Queensland